Section 17 of The Art of Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Scott, Cheltenham, England. The Art of Letters by Robert Lind. 11. Aspects of Shelley. Part 1. The Character Half Comic. Shelley is one of the most difficult of men of genius to portray. It is easy enough to attack him or defend him, to damn him as an infidel, or to praise him because he made Harriet Westbrook so miserable that she threw herself into the serpentine. But this is an entirely different thing from recapturing the likeness of the man from the 999 anecdotes that are told of him. These, for the most part, leave him with an air of absurdity in his habit of ignoring facts he appeals again and again to one's sense of the comic like a drunken man who fails to see the curb or who walks into a wall he was indeed drunken with doctrine he lived almost as much from doctrine as from passion he pursued theories as a child chases butterflies there is a story told of his oxford days which shows how eccentrically his theories converted themselves into conduct Having been reading Plato with Hogg, and having soaked himself in the theory of pre-existence and reminiscence, he was walking on Magdalen Bridge when he met a woman with a child in her arms. He seized the child while its mother, thinking he was about to throw it into the river, clung on to it by the clothes. "'Will your baby tell us anything about pre-existence, madam?' he asked, in a piercing voice and with a wistful look. She made no answer, but on Shelley repeating the question, she said, he cannot speak but surely exclaimed shelley he can if he will for he is only a few weeks old he may fancy perhaps that he cannot but it is only a silly whim he cannot have forgotten entirely the use of speech in so short a time the thing is absolutely impossible the woman obviously taking him for a lunatic replied mildly it is not for me to dispute with you gentlemen but i can safely declare that i never heard him speak nor any child indeed of his age shelley walked away with his friend observing with a deep sigh how provokingly close are these new-born babes one can possibly discover similar anecdotes in the lives of other men of genius and of men who thought they had genius but in such cases it is usually quite clear that the action was a jest or a piece of attitudinizing or that the person who performed it was as the vulgar say a little above himself in any event it almost invariably appears as an abnormal incident in the life of a normal man shelley's life on the other hand is largely a concentration of abnormal incidents he was habitually a bit above himself in the above incident he may have been consciously behaving comically but many of his serious actions were quite as comically extraordinary godwin is related to have said that shelley was so beautiful it was a pity he was so wicked I doubt if there is a single literate person in the world today who would apply the word wicked to Shelley. It is said that Browning, who had begun as so ardent a worshipper, never felt the same regard for Shelley after reading the full story of his desertion of Harriet Westbrook and her suicide. But Browning did not know the full story. No one of us knows the full story. On the face of it, it looks a peculiarly atrocious thing to desert a wife at a time when she is about to become a mother it seems ungenerous again when a man has an income of a thousand pounds a year 
to make an annual allowance of only two hundred pounds to a deserted wife and her two children shelley however had not married harriet for love a nineteen-year-old boy he had run away with a seventeen-year-old girl in order to save her from the imagined tyranny of her father at the end of three years harriet had lost interest in him besides this she had an intolerable elder sister whom shelley hated harriet's sister it is suggested influenced her in the direction of a taste for bonnet shops instead of supporting shelley's exhortations to her that she should cultivate her mind harriet says mr ingpen in shelley in england foolishly allowed herself to be influenced by her sister under whose advice she probably acted when some months earlier she prevailed upon shelley to provide her with a carriage silver plate and expensive clothes we cannot help sympathizing a little with harriet at the same time she was making a breach with shelley inevitable she wished him to remain her husband and to pay for her bonnets but she did not wish even to pretend to live up to him any longer as mr ingpen says it was love not matrimony for which shelley yearned marriage shelley had once written echoing godwin is hateful detestable a kind of ineffable sickening disgust seizes my mind when i think of this most despotic most unrequired fetter which prejudice has forged to confine its energies having lived for years in a theory of anti-matrimonialism he now saw himself doomed to one of those conventional marriages which had always seemed to him a denial of the holy spirit of love this too at a time when he had found in mary godwin a woman belonging to the same intellectual and spiritual race as himself a woman whom he loved as the great lovers in all the centuries have loved shelley himself expressed the situation in a few characteristic words to thomas love peacock everyone who knows me he said must know that the partner of my life should be one who can feel poetry and understand philosophy harriet is a noble animal but she can do neither it always appeared to me said peacock that you were very fond of harriet shelley replied but you did not know how i hated her sister and so harriet's marriage lines were torn up as people say nowadays like a scrap of paper that shelley did not feel he had done anything inconsiderate is shown by the fact that within three weeks of his elopement with mary godwin he was writing to harriet describing the scenery through which mary and he had travelled and urging her to come and live near them in switzerland i write his letter runs to urge you to come to switzerland where you will at least find one firm and constant friend to whom your interests will be always dear by whom your feelings will never wilfully be injured from none can you expect this but me all else are unfeeling or selfish or have beloved friends of their own as mrs boinville to whom your attention and affection is confined he signed this letter the ianthe of whom he speaks was his daughter with love to my sweet little ianthe ever most affectionately yours s this letter if it had been written by an amorist would seem either base or priggish coming from shelley it is a miracle of what can only be called innocence the most interesting of the new facts and letters in mr ingpen's book relate to shelley's expulsion from oxford and his runaway match with harriet and to his father's attitude on both these occasions shelley's father backed by the family solicitor cuts a commonplace figure in the story he is simply the conventional grieved parent 
he made no effort to understand his son the most he did was to try to save his respectability he objected to shelley's studying for the bar but was anxious to make him a member of parliament and shelley and he dined with the duke of norfolk to discuss the matter the result being that the younger man was highly indignant at what he considered an effort to shackle his mind and introduce him into life as a mere follower of the duke how unpromising as a party politician shelley was may be gathered from the fact that in eighteen eleven the same year in which he dined with the duke he not only wrote a satire on the regent apropos of a carlton house fate but amused himself with throwing copies into the carriages of persons going to carlton house after the fate shelley's methods of propaganda were on other occasions also more eccentric than is usual with followers of dukes his journey to dublin to preach catholic emancipation and repeal of the union was the beginning of a brief but extraordinary period of propaganda by pamphlet having written a fivepenny pamphlet an address to the irish people he stood in the balcony of his lodgings in lower sackville street and threw copies to the passers-by i stand he wrote at the time at the balcony of our window and watch till i see a man who looks likely i throw a book to him harriet it is to be feared saw only the comic side of the adventure writing to elizabeth hitchener the brown demon as shelley called her when he came to hate her she said i'm sure you would laugh were you to see us give the pamphlets we throw them out of the window and give them to men that we pass in the streets for myself i am ready to die of laughter when it is done and percy looks so grave yesterday he put one into a woman's hood and cloak she knew nothing of it and we passed her i could hardly get on my muscles were so irritated shelley none the less was in regard to ireland a wiser politician than the politicians and he was indulging in no turgid or fanciful prose in his address when he described the act of union as the most successful engine that england ever wielded over the misery of fallen ireland godwin with whom shelley had been corresponding for some time now became alarmed at his disciple's reckless daring shelley you are preparing a scene of blood he wrote to him in his anxiety it is evidence of the extent of godwin's influence over shelley that the latter withdrew his irish publications and returned to england having spent about six weeks on his mission to the irish people mr ingpen has really written a new biography of shelley rather than a compilation of new material the new documents incorporated in the book were discovered by the successors to mr william whitton the shelley's family solicitor but they can hardly be said to add much to our knowledge of the facts about shelley they prove however that his marriage to harriet westbrook took place in a presbyterian church in edinburgh and that at a later period he was twice arrested for debt mr ingpen holds that they also prove that shelley appeared on the boards of the windsor theatre as an actor in shakespearean drama but we have only william whitton the solicitor's words for this and it is clear that he had been at no pains to investigate the matter it was mentioned to me yesterday he wrote to shelley's father in november eighteen fifteen that mr p b shelley was exhibiting himself on the windsor stage in the character of shakespeare's plays under the figured name of cooks the character of shakespeare's plays sounds oddly as though whitton did not know what he was talking about unless he was referring to allegorical tableaux vivants of some sort 
certainly so vague a rumour as this the sort of rumour that would naturally arise in regard to a young man who was supposed to have gone to the bad is no trustworthy evidence that shelley was ever an actor in shakespearean drama at the same time mr ingpen deserves enthusiastic praise for the untiring pursuit of facts which has enabled him to add an indispensable book to the shelley library i wish that as he has to some extent followed the events of shelley's life until the end he had filled in the details of the life abroad as well as the life in england his book is an absorbing biography but it remains of set purpose a biography with gaps he writes it should be added in the spirit of a collector of facts rather than of a psychologist one has to create one's own portrait of shelley out of the facts he has brought together one is surprised by the way to find so devoted a student of shelley a student to whom every lover of literature is indebted for his edition of shelley's letters as well as for the biography referring to shelley again and again as bish shelley's family it may be admitted called him bish but never was a more inappropriate name given to a poet who brought down music from heaven at the same time as we read his biography over again we feel that it is possible that the two names do somehow express two incongruous aspects of the man in his life he was to a great extent bish in his poetry he was shelley shelley wrote the skylark and pan and the west wind it was bish who imagined that a fat old woman in a train had infected him with incurable elephantiasis mr ingpen quotes peacock's account of this characteristic illusion he was continually on the watch for its symptoms his legs were to swell to the size of an elephant's and his skin was to be crumpled over like goose skin he would draw the skin of his own hands arms and neck very tight and if he discovered any deviation from smoothness he would seize the person next to him and endeavour by a corresponding pressure to see if any corresponding deviation existed he often startled young ladies in an evening party by this singular process which was as instantaneous as a flash of lightning mr ingpen has wisely omitted nothing about bish however ludicrous after reading a biography so unsparing in tragicomic narrative however one has to read prometheus again in order to recall that divine song of a freed spirit the incarnation of which we call shelley End of section 17